said that folks, you know, around my age uh, are living in a state of shock at the way the world's changed. I don't think there's anyone that would deny that. You know, we think back, and it's easy to think back, you know, whenever you, whenever you get uh, my age. I know some of you are older than I am. Look back further. I'm not, I'm not going to call any names, though. But uh, uh, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, you know. Some folks, you know, it's strange. They don't want you talking about how old they are, but they love talking about how old they are because, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of a badge of honor to, uh, to to be that age. And so whatever the case is, is one of those things that we can't stop and we can't control. It is what it is. But, wow, how the world has changed. I, I, I often wish I had known when I was a boy growing up what was important and what wasn't. It takes a long time, you know, to figure that out. It takes the Lord to show us that. But, you know, when I was a boy, uh, all I thought about was hunting and fishing and playing ball That my whole life. Uh, I, that, that, was, that was what was important to me, hunting, fishing, and playing ball. <clears throat> and so when I was growing up, I never had any interest in school. I was just interested... Uh, when the class would be over and I could get out of there. That's all, all I cared about. Uh, so I didn't care about education. I, I didn't care about uh, religion, obviously, because we had never gone to church, never, ever, never read the Bible, never had prayer in our home. Uh, I wasn't concerned about that, and I wasn't concerned about politics uh, when I was growing up. But there was one exception. Uh, when I was when I was about twelve, about the time that I uh, was entering junior high school, uh, there was a slogan that became popular and I, I kind of caught on with everybody. It seemed like, uh, but it said, "I like Ike," and it was uh, the kids don't know what I'm talking about, probably, but you older folks do, right? Dwight David Eisenhower, a general. And he was running for president and became our 34th president. Well, about that same time, there was a young preacher who was becoming popular. And that preacher uh, sent a letter to Eisenhower. And in the letter, he quoted uh, a politician. Uh, and, And that politician had made this statement. He said, if Washington is not cleaned out in the next two years, two or three years, Uh, We are going to enter into a period of chaos that could bring about our downfall. But then that young preacher added these words to it. He said, sometimes I wonder who is going to win the battle first, the barbarians beating at the gates from without or the termites of immorality from within. When, when Eisenhower read that letter, he was so impressed that he asked his staff, who is this young man? And they said his name is Billy Graham. And so Eisenhower was so impressed that whenever, you know, he was getting ready to, uh, to be sworn as the president, just before that he called Billy and, and asked to meet with him. And they met together and he said, I've got a question for you. What verse of scripture would you recommend that I that I use 
lay my hand on the Bible, open to that scripture, and uh, Billy said, Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And that is exactly what Eisenhower did when he was sworn into office. It was with his hand on the Bible on that verse. By the way, that's the same verse that Ronald Reagan used two times. And uh, But uh, all I can say is good call, Billy. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he could have recommended any verse any better than that. And, but sadly, America hasn't listened. And uh, we've just totally ignored that. I, you know, we used to hear about revivals all of the time, and now we don't hear anything about revivals, and it's just like they're not important at all. But... There might be someone here wondering, well, what is so important about that verse? Well, hopefully you've turned there. Hopefully you could quote it from memory. I know many of you could. But uh, what is so important about this verse? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning in light of the fact that we've been preaching for several months now messages that relate in some way to pride And this morning, we're going to look at the helpfulness of humility, where he says, verse 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I can't think of think about this verse without thinking about the fact that the many times in revival meetings where I preached from this verse. In fact, in several meetings, I preached all week from this same verse. I would just take one little part after another and spend the entire week on, uh, on this one verse of Scripture. And I believe that for the Christian, this verse of Scripture is just that important because nothing in the world is more destructive, more detrimental to man's welfare, and more despised by God than pride. And one of the one of the major things that Jesus emphasized in teaching his followers was the need for humility and the danger of pride. So humility is a fundamental of Christian character. There is no character without humility. And if I had time to look over the New Testament at all of the related verses, we would see how essential it is. Uh, James tells us it's essential for learning. Paul tells us it is essential for, for teaching. It is essential for evangelism. It's essential for peace, essential for unity, essential for our service. And so it's clearly something that we cannot do without. In other words, we can't teach, we can't preach, we can't reach others, we can't serve God, we can't do any of those things as we ought to, so as to secure God's blessings unless we have a spirit of humility. Now, according to our text, this is the first step in the road to a revival. And, you know, when we talk about revival, we're talking about a renewal. We're talking about an awakening, a coming alive again. And, uh, boy, do we ever need that today. And for that to happen, for that to happen, it begins here with the first step of humility. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. 
You see, pride causes God to shut up the windows of heaven. In other words, pride causes God to withhold the blessings. In fact, pride will, will cause God to even bring a curse upon us in the sense, not that God hates us, but that God is working to correct us from our evil ways. So this morning, I want you to think about the helpfulness of humility. And it helps in several ways. Number one, it will persuade us to serve. You see, by nature, our old sinful human nature, we all want to serve rather than than to serve others. And that's a serious problem because we never fulfill our purpose in life until we learn to be a servant. And we need to think about that and we have our Blessed Savior, further an example, amen, to think about him taking the place of a servant. Paul addressed that in Philippians chapter number 2. And he talked about Christ and, 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 and the fact that he took upon himself the form of a servant. He became a man. We're talking about the Lord of glory, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning of the end, and the first and the last, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the one who is head and shoulders above all, the judge of all of the earth, the creator himself, became a man. And he came into this world, he tells us, to seek and to save that which was lost. And he does that by ministering to people. And so our attitude tells us a lot about our relationship with God. If there's not an attitude of humility, it's telling us that there's something amiss in our relationship with the Lord. I'm not saying it means that you've never been saved. I'm not saying that because every saved person here could probably profit from some more humility. And I, when I said every saved person, I include me. It's real easy to, real easy for us to get proud, you know, and, and compliments sometimes can go to our head and we get to thinking that, you know, we're better than what we really are. And the, the fact is we're just sinners saved by grace. Uh, there's absolutely no reason for any human being to be prideful, you see. Here, ask yourself this question. Do I consider others to be worthy of my time? Are they worthy of my time? Are, are, are they worthy of my love, of my attention, of my kindness? Uh, are, are they worthy of that? And so many times, you know, we go through life acting like, we, you know, we don't have time for them or they don't deserve this or they don't deserve that. I was speaking to a, a parent just this uh, last few days and talking about that very thing, that you, you, you have to love them anyway or you should love them anyway. I can remember telling one of my kids years ago, I don't approve of what you're doing. It is wrong as it can be. But you can't ever do anything to stop me from loving you. I'm going to love you. But I did. Listen, I never stopped loving them. But I had to repent of bitterness against them. Because even though they might not have known it, I knew it in my heart that I was so bitter, so angry because of a situation and uh, a spirit of humility reminds us, but by the grace of God, there go I. It could have been me instead of them, you see. So meekness is one of the, a part of the fruit of, of the Holy Spirit. That means that if I am really a spirit-filled believer, 
then I'm going to be clothed with humility as we talked about last week. I'm going to be willing to put on the slave's costume. I'm going to be willing to minister to others as, as he tells us in Acts chapter number 20, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Did, did anybody read that article uh, about the fella in... Uh, well, I knew I would forget it, and I was going to write an article about it in Italy. This fellow in Italy had gone 15 years drawing a paycheck from a job, never showed up one day for work. They never missed him. 15 years before they figured out, where is this guy? Nobody knows. I don't know how he got by with it. He'll probably, you know, be writing a book on how you can draw a paycheck without working, you know. But but it's so amazing. But as I read that article, I thought to myself, you know, that is exactly what's going on in the lives of a lot of Christians, you know. They enjoy all of the benefits and all of the blessings of the Christian life, and yet they never render any service to others. For them, it's all about take, 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 and, and, and there's no no give, no contribution, you see. And it shouldn't be that way. And a spirit of humility will cause us to be willing to serve others. Secondly, it, it, it will provoke a sweet spirit. We've already talked about this, and, and we need to talk about it even more because, you know, when our heart is governed by pride, we get bitter, don't we? We get bitter, and then we complain because when we get bitter, we always feel like i got to tell somebody, you know, I, I've just got to let somebody know I'm not a happy camper. I just don't like what's going on. So we get bitter and we complain. And we, we feel that everything that, that doesn't go our way is wrong. And pride convinces us that life isn't fair. That we deserve better than this. That's one of the major problems man has is the fact that we murmur and we complain. We get all bent out of shape because life isn't going the way that we want it to go. It doesn't seem fair. I mean, I'll say that. It doesn't seem fair to our natural mind. It doesn't seem fair. But you don't see the big picture. And not only that, we sometimes forget that we don't deserve anything to start with. So if we don't deserve anything and God withholds something from us, we have no right to complain about it. And so it's humility that causes us to realize that we all have more than what we actually deserve. You know, that's a big help because it enables us to accept the disappointments in our life. When that happens, to think, well, I didn't deserve it anyway, and so, uh, you know, if I didn't deserve it, well, I ought not to, to miss it. And, but it's a spirit of humility. Without humility, you're always going to be miserable. You'll never be content. And, and that's a miserable way to live, right? And, but it's that pride in your heart that thinks, well, I deserve better than this. So if you really want to enjoy life, it demands that you have a spirit of humility because there will be no joy, there will be no peace until, first of all, you humble yourself. Without humility, we, we become rigid. We, we get brittle, as it were, and, 
who are easily broken by the problems of life. You've seen some folks, it seems like they can just stand up under anything. They can keep going regardless of what goes wrong in their life. They're still there, the same person they always have been, and just a sweet spirit about them. And, and, And all of that can be attributed to this one fact that they have a spirit of humility, humility that makes them pliable. It makes them able to adjust to the situation. It makes them able to accept whatever life dishes out. You know, it's okay. It's okay. I don't understand it. It hurts or whatever, but it's okay because I know that my Heavenly Father loves me. I know my Heavenly Father is wiser than I am, and I know that He allows it for some good reason that I cannot understand or I cannot explain, but someday I'll understand it. Humility produces a sweet spirit, and because of that, humility promotes unity. We, I've already considered some of those verses that Solomon wrote in Proverbs 13.10, Only by pride cometh contention. He said, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. That tells me that humility then would prevent strife, whether it's marital strife. Wouldn't that be great? You think about families that have been torn apart because of marital strife. Humility would get rid of that. That doesn't mean you would always agree on everything. It doesn't mean that you would always be right on every issue. It just means where there is a spirit of humility, you would find a way to work through those difficulties without throwing a hissy fit and going down the road and leaving your children and tearing apart your your marriage. Humility would prevent that. It would prevent the ruin of relationships, broken homes, church splits, you see. Some people spend all of their lives fighting like cats and dogs, all because they refuse to humble themselves, all because they think more highly of themselves than they ought to. They get touchy, they get irritable, they get argumentative. They're just, you know, like a powder keg. But the person with humility is someone who is not easily offended. He's able to withstand insults and injury. As Paul told them in Corinth, allow yourself to be defrauded. Let them cheat you. None of us like the thought of that. Well, you know, he really cheated me. Well, he did. Well, that's wrong. Yes, that's wrong. So what are you going to do about it? You know, well, I know a lot of bad things come to your mind, things you'd like to do, but what's the right thing to do about it? The right thing is to just let it happen and go on. You cannot allow the wrongdoing of somebody else to bring about a fall in your life. And we think about the Lord's church, and you go back in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 4 especially, and you discover that unity was one of the main reasons for their great effectiveness. Think, think about the difficulty of trying to minister to people in that day, to, to be a soul winner in that day. Think about all the difficulties they faced. I, I mean, they were hated, they were despised, they were in prison, they were burned at the stake. So here's people doing the, the, the job that God gave them to do, witnessing, taking the gospel into all of the world. Here is a people that refused to give up whatever the threat was. They refused to quit. And one of the main reasons is they had a spirit of humility. 
that unified the church together. And, and let me tell you, you can't have unity without having humility. It's impossible for us to be really unified because sooner or later, someone will light the fuse that blows up the powder keg, you know, and if we're ever to regain what we've lost as a nation, a church, or an individual, it starts with us humbling ourselves, promoting unity, provoking a sweet spirit. Not only that, but humility protects us from sin. You know, we often talk about pride being a sin, but what we forget about is the fact that not only is pride a sin, but pride involves us in other sins. And, and the psalmist said that the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. You see, the pride is already there. The problem already exists, but it hasn't manifested itself until, you know, all of a sudden it breaks out into some other sin. But if you could not commit any other sin other than to be prideful in your heart, that would be a horrible, terrible sin in the sight of God. But it doesn't stop there. You know, we think about, you know, if, 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 if I could sin and it not affect anybody else, it wouldn't be so, such a big deal. Well, it really would be a big deal because sin's a violation of God's standard. It's an offense against God. That makes it a big deal. But believe me, it's magnified. It's made worse whenever our pride causes us to manifest itself by sinning against others and harming others, you see. Pride causes us to forget that we have a responsibility to other people. That's why some people go through life bullying people. There's always a bully on the block everywhere you go. Somebody trying to push and trying to shove, trample the rights of others under their feet, and that's exactly why there's so much tension in the world today. We see it, you know, whether it's in Washington, those in a place of uh, of, of authority, or, or wherever it is, you'll find somebody that they're going to be they're going to be chief. They're going to be in command. They're going to run the show. They're going to call the shots. They're going to be the one to make the decisions. And boy, if they don't get their way, they throw a fit. But listen, the problem of pride not only affects, you know, the way that we treat others, it is a, a disrespect toward God. An offense against God. And so many times we just think about how our sin affects us or how our sin affects other people. And we need to think about that. But whenever we talk about our sin as it's related to the Lord, it, the Bible talks about us grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, that word grieve is a love word. Grief comes from, uh, from, from love. The disappointment that you experience because of your love for someone and it's an offense against God every sin you know whether it's you got the attitude well I'm just going to get even with him or her because they deserve it and you know they did me wrong I'm going to get even with them uh, and so we think our offense is just against them but I, let me tell you whenever you hurt one of God's children you're hurting God that's an offense against God you know I think about the attitude that some, the disrespectful attitude that folks today have toward the Lord. It reminds me of Belshazzar there in Daniel chapter number five. 
And Belshazzar decided he's going to have a party. He's going to put on this big party, and he decides, wouldn't it be a neat idea if I used the vessels that that daddy or granddaddy, however you want to look at that that story of Nebuchadnezzar, whenever he had sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took out all of the vessels of silver and gold. Those were sacred vessels to be used in ministry there in the temple. And so he decided that he's just going to drink his wine out of those vessels. In other words, he's thumbing his nose at God. I'll show God. Well, the party got interrupted because all of a sudden there's a hand appeared and the writing on the wall. Amen. Let me tell you, the disrespect that America has shown to God, the handwriting is on the wall. We're not going to get by with this nonsense. And we're just not smart enough to realize the indictment against us is something that we've brought upon ourselves as it was with Israel when the Lord said to Israel, you have destroyed yourself. It's not something that God has done to us. It's something that we bring upon ourselves. And then, lastly, humility will cause us to confess our sin. It'll prompt us to do so. You know, before a person is saved, there are times that your conscience tells you that what you're doing really isn't right. I I could name a lot of different things that I did as an unsaved person, and I knew by nature, by my conscience, I knew, you know, this really isn't right, but, you know, we reason as unsaved people, it doesn't really make any difference because if I want to steal that candy bar, that's what I'll do. You know, it's just my, it's my, my business. As long as I don't get caught, things are going to turn out all right. And, and so that's the way an unsaved person thinks, you know. But something about it tells us that it's not really right, but we don't really care. But after a person is saved, boy, things begin to change because, as, as I've often said, no Christian sins successfully. Because when we sin against God, the Holy Spirit begins to convict our heart. And all of a sudden, now that we're a Christian, our entire attitude about sin begins to change. But let me tell you, nothing in this world is more stubborn than pride. That's the thing that keeps us from admitting that we're wrong. And and we do that even whenever sometimes we know all of the evidence proves that we're wrong. Even when we know that other people know that we're wrong, the evidence is right there, but our pride will not allow us to confess it. But whenever we humble ourselves, then we get honest about our condition and we confess our sins. Uh, There's a great example of that found right here in this same book. If we had time... Uh, to, to, and maybe you want to do it when you get home, read Second Chronicles chapter number 33. Because in the first part of the chapter there, we see a long list of sins committed by Manasseh. Uh, you know, he becomes the, finally the, uh, the king and, uh, and he enumerates all of these sins against him. And there's a long list. That when we get down to verse 12 and 13... He gives us the remedy. And I want you to listen carefully. And I want you to keep this in mind, that if we do not learn humility, we will learn humiliation. 
If we don't learn humility, we will learn humiliation. Manasseh has totally disregarded everything God told him to do. And verse 12 says, and when he was in affliction. And it always comes down to that. And when he was in affliction, finally, finally it happened. You know, the first sin, the first time that he did something wrong, he might have thought, well, this is not so bad. I'm no, you know, I wasn't censured in any way. I didn't suffer in any way. Looks like I got by with that. Well, you just wait. When he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and notice, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into the kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he is God. What a, what a great story there is in that story. And, and notice here that evidently all of this time he knew what he ought to do, but he's been ignoring it. Just like the prodigal son, Manasseh had decided here that I'm going to cast off all restraint. I'm going to disrespect every command. I'm going to disregard every warning. I'm going to do as I please. And like many today, they flaunt their sin in the face of God they hurt themselves, they grieve the heart of God, and eventually they suffer the consequences of it. You know, the chances are very good that there's somebody here this morning that, that's guilty of that very thing. You know what the will of God is. You don't need a lecture about right and wrong. You know that you're living in the wrong. You know what you're doing is going to bring shame to you. It's going to bring harm to other people. You know God doesn't approve of it. The only question is, what will you do about it? What will you do about it? I mean, you know that the problem is there. What are you going to do? Will you humble yourself and turn to God? Or will you just you know, stubbornly go on in your sinful ways and, and have to suffer the consequences? Let me ask you another question. What do you hope to gain by rejecting God's plan for your life? What, what do you think you're going to get out of that? What are you going to gain? How are you going to be better off? In what way do you think your life's going to be better because you ignored what God wanted? You know, there's only one thing that will, uh, will, you know, cause you to refuse this opportunity. And this is an opportunity. I know we, we speak about an invitation at the end of the message. That's what it is. But maybe we ought to call it the opportunity. Give you the opportunity. And this is an opportunity for you today. And the only thing that will stop you from taking advantage of that is pride. Do, do you really value your judgment that much? Do you really believe that, you know, that you're so much better than others that you have the right to do as you please, even though it hurts them? And why would you throw away what might be your very last opportunity to turn your life around. Manessa, because maybe you're thinking, well, oh my, preacher, if you, knew, if you knew what I've been doing, you'd know there's no hope for me. Oh yeah, there's hope. 
There's hope because we serve a God who is willing to forgive. We serve a God of love. Read the story of Manasseh and his horrible, terrible sins. It's unbelievable that somebody that supposedly believes in God could do the things he did worse than the heathen. And yet, when he humbled himself, when he repented, it's as though God just said, all right, that's good enough for me. And I tell you, you have an opportunity to do that today. Why would you waste what might be your last opportunity? Can you give me one good reason? I'll let you raise your hand if you want to. I'll let you even speak. Can you give me one good reason why you will waste this opportunity? You say, well, I can't think of one. Well, I couldn't either. I, I couldn't either. There is no good reason for us to waste the opportunity to make our heart right with God. So why would you wait? I don't know what God might be speaking to you about. It might be a problem that I don't know about, a problem that nobody else knows about. It might be a mountain of bitterness in your heart. It might be something going on in your personal life. It might be something going on uh, in, in your domestic life. It might be something on the job. And you think, well, that doesn't have anything to do with the church. None of the church's business, what I do. Oh, yeah, it is. And it's always God's business what we do, regardless of where we are and what we do. It's God's business. And you'll never, you'll never, ever be better off for ignoring God. You'll always be better off if you humble yourself and turn to God. And notice he said, if, if you'll humble yourself, and if my people will pray. Oh, how we need to pray. It's so easy for us to rant and rave about the condition of our nation because we can find plenty of things to, uh, that are at fault. That's easy. Uh, the hard part is for us, to, for us to take care of our own little personal kingdom, as it were, ourselves, to make sure that we're right with God. And that's the only way we can make the nation better is by us as individuals being better. The only way that we can improve this church is for individuals to improve. The only way that you can help your marriage be better than what it is is for you to be a better person because you can't dictate to your other family members what they're going to do. You have no control over them. They'll do whatever they want to do. You can't control that. But you can always control your response to whatever situation you're in. And that's what God expects from you. Do the right thing. If my people, are you one of His people? Do you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know for certain this morning that if you died, you'd go to be with the Lord? If you don't, why don't you come this morning and say, Preacher, I'm coming today to trust Christ as my Savior. And if you've already been saved, but there's something amiss in your heart and in your life, why don't you come? You don't have to say a word to anybody else. It might be you don't want to walk down the aisle. That's okay too. But right where you are, I hope you'll bow your heart before God and pray, Lord, forgive me. I am wrong. I'm sorry. And I want you to help me make it right. Would you do that while we stand together, Tim, and the musicians are coming? As we extend this verse of opportunity, 
you come today. Father, we realize as we come before you that we absolutely do not deserve anything whatsoever. But Lord, there's sure a lot of things we need. Lord, I just pray that you'll help us with those needs in our life. May you be merciful. May you be gracious. Lord, may you supply our needs, not just that we would be the better for it, but rather that you'll be glorified as a result of it. And may you work today. May your Holy Spirit tug at heartstrings and change our lives and that we leave here today different than we came. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we sing.